Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we have Steve and Kristen, who adopted from India. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you. I'm really excited to hear your story because this is our first story about India. And so I don't know very much about it. So you're going to teach us so many things. And you brought a sibling group home. So you ended up bringing three children home. Right. A little bit of a surprise to us. But yes, there are three. (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about why you chose adoption. Um, We, well, I mean, I'd always had adoption on my heart. We had a conversation eight years ago before we got engaged about not having biological children. Um, I didn't know if I wanted children at all. I knew I didn't want or need biological children and something that I wanted to make sure, you know, pretty early in the dating process that she was okay with because I figure it's a pretty big deal for women. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it was really interesting for me because I've wanted to adopt since high school veterans. So that conversation initially with Steve was a little bit comical for me. He asked me to pray about it. And my conversation with God kind of went, am I okay? I think I'm okay. Am I sure I'm okay? I think I'm okay. I didn't think I'd be okay. You know, so um, it was a little bit of a surprise, but definitely something Steve and I had both always wanted to do. And Steve did a lot of mission work growing up and spent a lot of time in countries where there were uh, many children who needed families. So I think that just stood out on his heart for a really long time. Why did you pick India? So as Kristen said, I did do a lot of short-term mission stuff with my church and and, um, college group. Um, I first went to India 2005, 2006, after the tsunami at Christmas time, um, I was, my schedule allowed me to have a lot of free time. So um, I went in March, I believe the tsunami was the day before Christmas. Our church, my church at the time, put together a group. Uh, we went together in March um, for a couple of weeks, just some kind of basic medical and supply relief. Um, so that was kind of where I first got the India bug. Um, and then in the proceed, the following three or four years, I went three or four times on my own and probably spent about six months total in India over those three or four trips. Um, then finally, um, you can probably tell better. We'll tell about the church trip. So finally our church, after we got married, our, our current church put a trip out to India and yeah, it was really funny because I had told Steve and we decided that we were um, kind of our timeline for adoption that I really wanted to go to India before we started the process, just so I had some context of the country. And so we were at that point where, you know, we kind of hit the mark of getting ready to start the process. And one day I told Steve, gosh, we really need to start planning a trip so that I can see the country. And we went to church that Sunday and our church announced a mission trip to India that summer. So it was very uh, timely. <laughs> and perfect. so that was summer of 2011. We spent two weeks in India with our church and then came home and started the process. Okay. So the two of you are, I love this part of your story is you both are living in this house in the city and you kind of, you know, you have this lifestyle that isn't conducive for kids. And so first of all, changing that completely was probably a process, don't you think? You know, it was. And we initially thought that we would be okay staying in the city. We did some remodeling <laughs> to our house um, just to kind of prepare for the kids and 
And really it was the opportunity for um, a school that was just the best fit for our girls that moved us from the city to the suburbs a couple of months after they came home. So, so when you were doing renovations, was that for one child? Were you, were you looking for a sibling group? I think ideally we, we wanted two. I think that was in our perfect little, you know, idyllic, idyllic head. We wanted to, I mean, ideally a boy and a girl, you know, under five, something like that. Um, and I mean, Kristen's better at telling the story, but our first, our first international agency, the guy was, didn't think that was going to happen. He's like, you're not going to get a sibling group, you know, get ready for one child, you know, just get used to it. And then we were like, oh, okay, so I guess we'll do one. And then if it goes well, you know, assuming it goes well, we can do another one down the road. Right. We we really wanted a sibling group of two. That was our initial plan. That was what we were approved for in our home study initially, a sibling group between the ages of two and six. And so when we, um, we had a two bedroom, one bath bungalow in the city and you know, felt like we could do one or two kids there and they would share a room and we would be fine. But, you know, as our story progresses and we found out that um, the sibling group that we were pursuing was actually three children, that was what prompted the renovation initially. I, we were going to do the attic. We were going to finish the attic. Was, we had plans and and a survey and <laughs> all these plans. Everybody all, always starts off with that plans. was for three. I mean, that was for three. We were right. going to up until. Well, it came down to this, like she said, it came down to the schools. Up until our oldest and all got into um, this charter school in Highlands Ranch, we were going to live in the city and raise kids there. Isn't it amazing how much changes when you bring the children home? So, okay, you're ready for two, uh, a sibling group, and this guy is telling you, nope, it's not going to happen. You know, I feel like initially we were really disappointed. The, the first agency we chose has... Um, huge history with adoption. They're very well respected. We have a niece that came home from Korea through that agency. But there was a lot of change happening in the India adoption process that we got caught in the middle of that affected our timeline and our story. And he told us that we shouldn't expect a sibling group. We needed to be open to a single child adoption. So we kind of shifted our thinking. And, um, and then he told us it was unlikely that we would get a girl, which I thought was very strange coming out of India. So we just had a rough time. We ended up um, pursuing a child on a waiting child list from another agency and switched agencies. We pursued that little girl for about 10 months and then lost her match due to how the um, process was changing in India, the documentation and paperwork and things were really messy over there. So we were pretty heartbroken. I mean, it was a long time of yeah. pursuing this one little girl. And kind of in the midst of that, my mom got sick and we lost my mom and we lost this little girl all kind of at the same time. And then our, you know, our agency was like, do you need to take a break? Our new agency was like, do you need to take a break? Are you guys okay? Like, we know this is really hard. And I was really like bawling on the phone with her and I was like, we can't take a break. It takes forever to get through India adoption. And so she said to me, okay, well, I thought that would be your answer. I have another potential referral for you. And that actually happened to be the youngest of our three daughters. And she had a medical special need, which in the India system had her kind of as a single as a single child adoption. And so we thought we were pursuing her and um, about six weeks into a match being matched to her waiting for her paperwork. Our agency came to find out that she had two older sisters 
and they asked us if, well, they called me, the agency director called me and said, so Kristen, just wanted to let you know, we talked to the orphanage about the paperwork for Matiksha, and the reason why we haven't received it is she has told her sisters and they'd kind of like to, for them to be a package deal. And I told her, and she's like, what do you think? And I said, well, I think I'm going to throw up. And <laughs> yes, we'll take all three. And then she proceeded to say, would you like to ask your husband? <laughs> so. Right. But you knew he was probably going to say yes. Mm -hmm. I did. And so when she told you, how did you respond? Yeah, I mean, she called me and um, I think this was, you know, I was, I think I was driving. She's like, are you sitting down? I might not have been driving. She's like, sit down. She's like, Matiksha has two sisters. And I thought about it for a while. And then I'm like, I think we're gonna have to finish the attic. <laughs> So that was the beginning of the, the plans for the renovations. Um, I mean, I don't know. We went from two to, in our heads, we went from two to one to zero to one to three. And, you know, right. it felt like, how do you say, how do you say no? Just that roller coaster, um, you know, and depending on who you talk to, that's one thing we learned in the process as well. We could talk to one social worker and they're like, no, that will never happen. You'll never get this. And we're like, well, this is what... We really feel like we're called to. And then we could talk to somebody else and they're like, absolutely, we're going to work on that. And so it's always, you know, different social workers opinions and then what God has for you and just really unraveling that story. Let's talk about the girl story. So how did they find the two sisters and were they all in the same place and what's their background? Sure. Um, so. The interesting thing with India and something that if you're adopting from there, you just have to be okay with is you honestly get very little information about the kids' stories. Um, the fact that our girls are older, our oldest daughter knows a lot of her story. And when she's ready to talk about that, I think she'll fill in a lot of the gaps. You know, what we were told initially was that their father died when our youngest was an infant from a medical illness. Um, didn't have a lot of specifics on that. And then their mom died in some kind of road vehicle accident right before they went into the orphanage. And we're, I kind of assumed, just having spent time in India, that, you know, she might have been walking or riding a bike just kind of based on what was going on with them. And from what we understand, she just didn't come home one day. And um, a kind of a neighbor, Good Samaritan, found the girls and kind of figured out what was going on and took them to the orphanage. How old were the girls? At the time, they would have been roughly three, four, and nine. So was a nine-year-old taking care of the two younger ones? You know, as we fill in gaps and as she starts sharing a little bit of her story, it sounds like she took care of them a lot while their mom was trying to provide for them and that it's possible she might have been with them for several days or a week or so before the neighbor really realized, oh, the mom hasn't been, their mom hasn't been coming home. So she so. didn't, the kids really didn't know what parents were at all. I mean, even though they had them for a little bit, um, it sounds like the mom was always working and they didn't have a nurturing mom or a father that was around because he had passed away. So they really didn't know how a family worked. Um, when you brought them over, was that a total change for them? I mean, obviously, yeah. total change. I mean, <laughs> they're in the States and all that. But right. I mean, what did that look like for them? What did they tell them? You're going to get parents. But what did that mean to them? Right. Do you want to? I mean, I, they were, well, they were in an orphanage for a couple of years. And there was, you know, taken care of by nuns. So there was, there was a lot of nurturing women um, in their lives. And they're, they're, you know, when we got, when we got there, I was, I guess I was kind of a little bit surprised at how few orphans there were compared to the number of nuns. So the, the nun to child orphan ratio is pretty good. Um, 
but it was it was an orphanage and you know no they didn't they didn't have parents i mean i think that the 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 orphanage did a great job of you know of of kind of preparing them as much as possible um i mean they called us mommy and daddy from the day that we met them which was really sweet um you know the the younger two were were emotion you know were touchy feely and were you know you know emotionally i guess bonded or or you know hugged us and i don't know what i'm trying to say um the older one the oldest one was a little bit more standoffish especially with me you know just kind of like what are you doing and who are you and kind of like i mean maybe what you're asking as far as not having parents like i've been doing this i've basically been in charge i've basically been taking care of them for as long as i can remember you know who do you especially to me who do you the father who do you think you are and <laughs> what are you doing to us <laughs> right they're thinking that about you right that. it's so, a little bit of a change i think it's interesting about your story is that the nuns were so kind to them um you know we we always talk about well, what was the condition that they lived in in the orphanage first of all how long were they in the orphanage before they were matched you about three and a half years okay so they spent three and a half years with these women that were kind to them and loved them and so did they love the orphanage they definitely loved, there's one nun that was kind of the director or the one in charge over the children. Her name was Sister Aquila, and they loved Sister Aquila. They speak highly of her. They, they still talk about her, or it'll come up that she said something or did something a certain way. Um, I think she was incredibly kind to them. The, um, the other nuns had different responsibilities. Uh, Sister Teresa's Ministry of Missionaries of Charity does a lot of work. So they do work with the sick and they do work with the poor. And so there were a lot of nuns that lived on the property, but not all of them had regular contact with the kids. And so, you know, there was a couple, there were a couple that really stood out to the girls as kind of being primary caregivers. And I mean, compared to what they had known, I, f I feel like the orphanage was a better place than where they were they had three meals a day there were kids to play with they they could exercise you know some some semblance of schooling and then put them in school yeah um so i mean i think they were content they didn't know i mean i think they were content they didn't they didn't know any different or it was better from whatever else they knew it was more stable there was structure and predictability and i think yeah. we see that like our kids are creatures of structure and they get really tripped up if the structure changes or if they think one thing is going to happen and something changes because they find a lot of safety in a predictable consistent structure so our daily routine is pretty structured because they need that to leave it to the nuns know. yes sure. my mom was it went to a catholic school and she's like we were you know i mean very structured and we knew the rules and we had to follow it and i i just think it's very interesting that mother Teresa's um orphanages are just filled with love and kindness i mean like you said it's better than what they experienced in the street and they had experienced so much loss and so here structure can help a child so much um, with loss because you know what's going to happen every day it gives a child a sense of control in their own little environment um, which can be harder when you're trying to break that and be like no I'm the parents you don't have to be self-sufficient anymore and that's a process we're going to talk a little bit about that when we come back but I just want to know when you went over there how long did you have to stay and how many trips did you have to go over to get them one trip we were there about we were in country about 10 days. Um, we flew into Delhi. We went to Gujarat, which is in the north of the country. Um, basically did pick them up, met them, did a little bit of paperwork there. Um, flew to Delhi. Um, there was some medical testing that our youngest needed to, to get done, to get cleared, to come back to the country and get, you know, get her visas and passports and all that stuff. And then 
um, flew back. So it was it was one visit, and it actually went it actually went really smoothly compared to how it could have gone. It's good to be an American and and have the embassy on your side. Yes, in some countries, and then some countries it's like. Uh, in India, we don't, you know, we're just yanking it and you have to stay here and you have to leave your kids. So if somebody's thinking about doing an in India, uh, going to India for adoption, would you say that the actual process once you're matched and you bring the child home is relatively smooth? It is becoming more and more um, adoption friendly in India. It, you know, when we started because we got caught up in all of these changes that were taking place, they kind of stopped processing adoptions for about six months in the middle of our process. And then it was pretty messy because they decentralized the adoption process from being more federally um, overseen to the states taking on more of the responsibility and state courts and district courts processing adoptions. Uh, the goal of that was to process more adoptions and process them more quickly because there were more people you know, available to do that. But in the beginning, the courts had no idea what they were doing. And so... Um, and the judges had to be trained. And so we got caught in all of that, which really lengthened our process. And at the time when we were kind of in the midst of that, adoptions were taking much longer in India. Now we see families, you know, bringing their children home within a year of being matched, which is really fast. Really fast. Um, you know, and so I feel like they're they really, they have a, a new woman who's the director of women and children's um, ministry, minister of women and children in the government. And she is so pro-adoption that she has really pushed the process and the education of the judges. And so I do think that it's better now and it moves a lot quicker for families. And almost every state has gone to a one trip um, kind of process where you come at the very end, the children are actually already legally yours before you go to pick them up. So you have an attorney that goes to court on your behalf in India. There are still a couple of states where there are two trips required. And so I think you know, someone who's considering adopting from India just needs to kind of work on being aware of what states and what regions how they process things and, right. and kind of India families learn that very quickly. Like, Oh, if you get a referral from this area, you may do two trips, but these areas are definitely only one. And, you know, so I think that's, it's shifting a lot, but it's definitely a positive changes. Now you had mentioned that the children that were available for adoption were special needs. And so what do they consider your children special needs? Um, Matiksha, our youngest had had an active, has act, had an active case of tuberculosis. It was dormant. Um, at the time and you know she went they got her checked out you know before before she got allowed to come into the United States she was checked out and and cleared so she has a history of tuberculosis but it's it's not active okay. um, so I mean I and I think in in my opinion it's a relatively minor special need but it was what allowed us to kind of become matched with her relatively quickly and then once we were matched with her, the, they're like, she, you know, she has two sisters. <laughs> Surprise. But then they didn't have any um, special needs. They didn't have to get checked out. The, the other two are, the older two are medically fine. And Matisha, she, when you got her checked out, you said you did that before you came here. Was she sick when you picked her up? Or no, they just wanted to do... She had just had a history of tuberculosis. Yeah. She, 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 she had was been, not active. She okay. had been treated um, by the nuns through a local doctor, it's about a 12-month course of treatment if you have active tuberculosis. Okay. So she had gone through treatment while we were in the, you know, our process from match to bringing them home was 26 months. And so that reflects all the changes in India. It took oh, a right. really long time for us to get them home. And so in that time, she had been treated and 
was no longer sick. So she she had tuberculosis when we were matched, but she was undergoing treatment. So okay, so special needs can range from you know minor yeah. to you know we. I mean, I see families with all kinds of things. I mean, some for some of the children, simply being older is a special need in India. So you could bring home a healthy older child and that is their special need, their age. They um, deem sibling groups as special needs because they're harder to place. You know, But then if you're looking at younger children, you can see anything from something more complex like a, a heart defect that's going to you know need surgery to something simple like um, a limb difference or deformity or something that, you know, it's physical, but doesn't really impact the child's cognition or right. development or anything like that. And so I feel like a lot of it is minor. There's just, um, because of the lack of access to medical treatment in a lot of areas of India, and especially rural and poor areas, a lot of those things, you know, that are special needs in India can be easily treated in the States, which is really nice. We have to take a short break. We're talking to Steve and Kristen about their adoption from India. They're going to talk to us about bringing the three girls home. Stay tuned. You're listening to Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. We'll be right back. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670kltt.com. Hi, this is April from Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm here with my husband, Noah. What does it mean to be adopted? What does it mean to adopt? Here at Adoption Now, we're answering those questions. We wanted to start a program to give adoption a voice through storytelling. We want the adoption community to be empowered to share openly what they have experienced. That's right, April, but we need your help. November is National Adoption Month, and we're running a fundraising campaign to keep Adoption Now going and reach more people. Would you partner with us? You can do that by visiting our website, adoption-now.com, and clicking the Donate button. We are a nonprofit, and donations are tax-deductible. Let's return to today's broadcast of Adoption Now. Faith and Family Radio, KLT Denver. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, we're talking to Steve and Kristen, who adopted three siblings from India. Let's talk about bringing the kids home. What was that like? They get on the plane. Here we go. I mean, it was just a, I mean, it was just a whirlwind. I mean, I think we were both just kind of hanging on for dear life. Um, when we got on the plane, I mean, it was, you know, international flights, and they had TVs, thank God, in the you know, in front of every seat. So they slept some, they watched a lot of movies. I mean, I think they just, I think we all just didn't really know what was going on. We were just like, we got to get on a plane. It's going to take us. I mean, it can follow simple directions, like which gate to go to and, and all this stuff. But I mean, it was just kind of a blur, just kind of held it together and put one step in front of, one foot in front of the other. How old were they at this time? At the time, mm -hmm. they were six, eight and 12. Okay, so you became instant parents to older children, and you didn't have biological children, which I feel like in a way was helpful to you because sometimes when you have a pattern of other children, you try to apply that to the new children right away, and then it doesn't work. So you really went in just really meeting them where they were at and having no preconceived ideas of what you expected them to do. But did they connect? I mean, they were calling you mommy and daddy, but were they excited? Did they show emotion? You know, it's funny. 
something Steve and I talk about a lot as we continue to get to know them is how different their personalities are. And I think as we look back, we even can see that from the beginning, kind of through that blur, that our youngest really just wanted a mom. So she wanted to be loved and held and cuddled and... um you know, so it was kind of instant with her, you know, and she had the least, um, like, apprehension with Steve, even oh, though they right. didn't have men in their life growing up, because she really just wanted a family. And you could see that, you know, our middle daughter, I feel like, also, in many ways, really wanted a mom and can be it was very, um, was much more pursuant of me and a little hesitant with Steve, but that changed more quickly. And then our oldest daughter, honestly, I mean, I feel like she did great in the beginning and great with the travel and all of that. But I think she was the one that had the biggest loss because she was older and she had friends and relationships and a little life in India. Right. And so for her, um, you know, as we came home and kind of got into that beginning of being home, I feel like she had like the roughest transition. You know, the first six months were the hardest for her. Um, she didn't really have anything to do with Steve for a while. And um, she had the most, she had the most idea of by her age, she had the most idea of what was going on. She had the most knowledge of what she was losing and probably the most fear about what the future could be here in America. Well, and it's a little bit uncomfortable as well to feel yourself around people you don't know. And all of a sudden you have a dad. I mean, you're used to females taking care of you and all of a sudden you have this dad. And how do you act around a dad? What do you do? What do you say? You know, how do you get him to love you or not not love you? Or is he going to leave? You know, I bet all those things are kind of going through their minds. And, and so the two younger ones just went quickly to you. How did you connect to the older one? Um, I mean, it it's it's a it's still a process. I mean, I think there was probably six months where I just kind of, you know, tried to get along and tried to, you know, I mean, obviously discipline and and make sure they knew the you know the rules of the house and kind of how how we wanted things done. But you know, and thank God I had Kristen. I mean, a lot of it just kind of fell on her, especially in the beginning. Um, but I mean, it's still a growing process. Um, I mean, fifteen months, you know. 15, 16 months later, you know, there's just little things like she'll sit on my lap or, you know, last night she put her feet on my legs. You know, I think it's interesting. I, I would say Steve did a remarkable job of pursuing Sanal in those early months. And Sanal's the oldest. Sanal's the oldest. And what's the middle's name? Dristy. And the youngest is? Matiksha. Okay. You know, he... I mean, he pursued all of them, but Sanal just wanted, didn't want anything of it at all. And there were days where he would try to do something nice and pursue her and she'd scream at him in Hindi, you know. And so I, I think, you know, his just consistent pursuit of her kind of eventually won her over. But I also think something shifted for her after that first six months or so where either something in her head said, this is my life and I can either be miserable or be happy. And I also think for her, as she settled into school, and this goes back to why I think it was so important, the decision we made about school for her, as she settled into school and started making some friendships and replacing some of that peer group loss that was is so significant at that age anyway, you know, all of a sudden I think she went, oh, I have friends and oh, I like my school and oh, people like me and, you know, and I have all these things. And it went from her telling us that, you know, she was going back to India and maybe she was going to be a nun to, hmm, I kind of want to be a pilot. Hmm, I kind of want to maybe be a doctor. Like, you know, so her, I mean, you could watch, you could just watch her thinking shifting 
And I think that made a huge difference. And in that, you know, Steve not like stepping back, like continuing to pursue her, you know, one day it went from like her refusing to get in the car with Steve to Steve being like, do you want to go play tennis? And she was like, okay. And they wouldn't play tennis together for like an hour. And I was in shock because she wouldn't have done that. I think she, I think she's lost a lot of her, well, I think some of the fear or a lot of the fear has gone away just of the future and like, oh, well, maybe this life is going to be okay. And I mean, yeah, a lot of it's school and friends and just getting, getting more comfortable and realizing that she's safe and, you know, it's not the end of the world. You've had them home for 16 months. Is that how long you just said? 16 or 17. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're getting to know the kids. I I think I have so many things I want to ask and say, because um, there's just so many things to be aware of before you bring children home. Uh, You don't just jump into it and everybody's like hugging and, you know, everything's perfect. (laughs) You know, you're winning over children, you're winning over um, their hearts, and you're overcoming their own fears. And I, you know, as you're telling the story, I I just wish this was a video because you're, it's just emotional. And when you have a moment of breakthrough and I can, I can say that every parent that is really pursuing their children has that moment where like, it's so little one day they, they put their head on your shoulder or one day they ask you to help them tie their shoes and they've never asked you. And you're just like, it's just this moment where you connect and that's what it's all about with adoption is that we're we're parenting children, but we're trying to get them to connect. And we're, you know, on both sides. And that's a point that you bring up, Kristen, as well, is on both sides. So you guys are getting them to trust you, but vice versa. And you you need to get in there and connect with them as well as a parent. How did that go? You know, I think that was probably the thing that surprised me the most because we spent almost four years in process of, you know, match, match and bringing them home and all of that. And so you, you know, you desperately love them from afar and you advocate for them and you fill out mountains of paperwork and, um, you pray for them and you talk about them, you know, and, and I think, you know, again, like being in India was a whirlwind and we were just so excited to have them and see them and interact with them. But then coming home, I think I kind of went, Oh, like this isn't, it's, just, it's not like you just flip a light switch and all of a sudden you have this massive amount of like innate love and emotion. I was surprised by that because I just wanted to believe I would automatically feel a certain way. And even though I knew that wasn't likely, just in conversations I'd had with other adoptive parents, you still want that. You still kind of think that's going to happen. And for me, it's really been um, a very active pursuit of developing kind of that attachment and connection with them. So of course you love them. Like love is also a choice, you know, and we, we love them and we um, treat them with love and we speak love to them, but the internal feelings behind that take time to develop. And I was not as prepared for that as I wish I had been. I think giving yourself time is important too, as a mother, it's a big change and everyone's looking at you and saying, Oh my goodness, look what you've done. You guys have saved. You're so great. Yes. (laughs) And you're feeling inside all these different emotions that mothers go through when they have babies, but it's a little bit more challenging when the girls are older and you just are boys or, and they're handed to you. 
and you are trying to change your schedule. I mean, you both worked and were living downtown and now you're looking at different schools and your whole lives are changing as well. You're going through culture shock as well as parents. And so giving it time to say, okay, I don't feel 100% there, but I'm just going to keep going. Like you said, one foot in front of the other. You just keep doing your schedule. You keep doing what you know, and then things become more routine. Can you look back and say, when we started 16 months ago, when we brought him home and to now, what are the biggest changes? Oh, the easy answers are the physical changes. I mean, from a, a small house in the city to a big house in the suburbs. Um, Your Costco shopping. Costco, living, <laughs> you way, from... living way too close to Park Meadows Mall. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, that's a big change, though, even in groceries. Like you could have just stopped really quick and gotten a few things. Now it's planned out. Now it's so much more money to feed three kids. Yeah, I think, I mean, it was across the board. I mean, we kind of joked before they came home when we found out there were three of them. We were like, oh, my gosh, it's three college educations and three weddings because they're girls. And, you know, so it really you know, we had to think through some of that. It didn't, wouldn't have changed our decision, but just starting to think differently about how we plan and prepare and save and what are our priorities. You know, it really, we really had to think through our priorities, especially since we're self-employed and what that looks like, you know, with the amount of time we work and, um, you know, but, but I think too, it's been remarkable. Like when you look at the girls, like they spoke very little English when they came home, which was another huge, um, challenge and factor, I think, in their feeling safe and secure is that they just they could communicate their basic needs, but they really couldn't communicate their emotions. They didn't have the language for um, a lot of conversation beyond, you know, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you need to go to the bathroom? You know, like, right. um, and their English has exploded. So to watch their development and how they interact with people and with our extended family and, you know, how excited. I mean, I watch it all the time, like how excited they are to have aunts and uncles and cousins and all these people who like love them and want to talk to them. And, um, you know, they are, it's funny. Our oldest especially is very invested in church because they were in a Catholic orphanage and they went to church or to mass all the time. And so that was really important for her, but a huge change as well. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we don't go to Catholic church here. And so, um, watching them kind of get invested in, relationships. Um, One challenge for us that I'm learning can be common with older child adoption is although our kids were in school in India, they didn't really have any formal academic education. So they are, um, there's a lot that we're having to do to help catch them up academically in school. So when you consider bringing home a 12 year old who really is barely doing first grade level math, you know, it's been a, a huge challenge and a lot of time and work and will be for years with them academically, but we see, we've seen so much progress already. Um, and they're just really bright girls in different areas and, um, you know, and then also figuring out, um, some medical needs and challenges with them and getting those things worked out. Um, I think that can happen as well. There are things that don't get caught in, you know, another country or in an orphanage that need to be addressed when they came home. And so, you know, it's been it's been a lot of learning about who they are and what they need and how to address them individually. The first six months, I think we were just dealing with basic stuff and trying to survive. And then all of a sudden, we started seeing their little personalities come out and different things they needed. And um, that's been a lot of fun. I know that Matiksha, the, our youngest, is completely deaf in her right ear. What? <laughs> Nobody knew. <laughs> Really? How did you figure that funny, out? Kind of a funny story. Go ahead. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, it's interesting because 
sometimes I just thought she wasn't like listening or didn't want to pay attention or didn't want, you know, like just the transition. They were kind of shell shocked and, you know, not really um, remembering like what they were supposed to do and not do. And then at Christmas, the first year they were home, we drove to visit, uh, drove across um, the country to visit family and they were watching movies in our car and had headphones in and at one point a pair of the headphones broke and so I told Dracima Teacher to share headphones and so earbuds yeah little earbuds and so the way they were sitting it would be Matiksha in her right ear and Dracima in her left ear to watch the movie like sharing a pair of earbuds and so Matiksha put it in her right ear and said mom this one doesn't work either and I was like, what? The other pair just broke. I'm like, give it to me. And I put it in my ear. I'm like, yes, it does too work. And then she, I gave it back to her. She put it back in her right ear. And she's like, it doesn't work. And then she took it out and put it in her left ear and went, oh, okay. And I was like, <laughs> do you not hear out of that ear? I was, oh, <laughs> I was no. just in shock. And right. so um, we came home from Christmas break and started a whole process with Children's Hospital to test her and determine what was going on. And now she has a hearing aid and it's like night and day for this kiddo because she can hear like she has just barely enough hearing that a hearing aid does work for her. And she was like beside herself like the first day they put her actual hearing aid in because she could hear herself. And I don't think she'd ever heard herself in her right ear. You know, it's like it's it's been that way her whole life. And so um, so she would have never even thought to say, I can't hear because that's just life. She didn't, for even, her. She didn't even realize she couldn't hear because her other ear compensated so well. Right. That. that is so amazing. We have a lot of stories where, you know, once you're a parent, you're doing all this investigative work, right? You're trying to figure out all these things that could be going wrong with your child. Um, you know, sometimes just in the system, they they don't have parents that are really looking after them and saying, and, and I'm talking more in the States when I say system, but um, just a child will get diagnosed and put on ADD meds. And we had a story where the mom kept saying, no, I don't think it's that, but let's do some other testing. The child was actually allergic to yellow dye. And so she felt like, oh my goodness, if she wasn't in my home with us, she would have just been diagnosed as, you know, ADHD and off on your way. And so as parents, we're trying to figure out, you know, what's really going on. And I just feel like your story is so amazing. And, and as your kids are listening to this and the changes that you have made to love them, you know, and I know it's easy to say, I, I love you guys so much and connect with them. But one day they'll understand that you guys changed your whole lives to connect with them and whole lives so that they had a chance at life. And one of the things that we've talked about several times in the show is the school. I found that very interesting that you guys found a school that had so many other Indian kids. I mean, that's just amazing. And your kids all got in. They're going to be going to that same school all the way until they graduate. How did you find that school? And if a parent is thinking, I, I want other children that look like my child, maybe they adopted from Korea, African-American, what would, how do we do that? Um, you know, honestly, for us, we kind of just got lucky because our pastor's kids went to school there. And so our pastor's wife said to me, oh, my goodness, Kristen, you need to look at our school. There's lots of Indian families at our school. And I was shocked by that because I honestly wasn't super aware of large Indian like um, communities in certain parts of Denver. And we were just the beginning of starting to look into that. And so when I went to visit the school after I got that information, it, it really was completely clear that it, it's where we would love for them to go. There is, um, 
a, a large number of, of Indian kids and families at every grade level and you know, and, and other um, kids from other countries as well. So there's a lot of um, diversity, interestingly, for a suburban school, but specifically um, learning that there's an Indian community in South Denver and being able to hopefully build relationships in that community and continue to pursue that, I think is so great, you know, and even some of the other kids who speak Hindi and there's a couple of staff at the school that are Indian that speak Hindi that can talk to the kids. And so that's just been a huge blessing um, on top of just the structure of the school being K-12 and our oldest daughter not having to make a transition between middle school and high school um, was a huge factor for us just with her age and, and all the transition she, and change she's dealt with in her life. We really thought it was important to try to mitigate that in the school is one way we could do that. Absolutely. Okay, so let's say somebody's coming to you and saying, hey, we're a couple and we're just excited. We're going over to India for our adoption. We need advice. Yeah, I mean, I th- we would love to talk more in depth and and one on one. I mean, it's I think probably this podcast or radio show, um, you know, we're probably emphasizing the sunny the sunny side of it and all the good things. And so there's, I mean, there's just some real significant things that you need to think about. I mean, we're all in favor of adoption. We love adoption. We would do it again, um, but it's just not all you know rainbows and butterflies. I mean, I think there's there's just some things that you need to think about and and be prepared for. And we didn't, I mean, again, none of this would have changed our decision. And, you know, we had one dinner with one family that actually one couple that probably told us the, tr- the truth or more truth than anybody else. But we didn't even talk, I mean, they, we didn't talk to a lot of families that had adopted. We didn't know a lot of families that had adopted. I mean, Kristen's meeting a ton of people now and through the process. But I mean, I guess it's great and do it, but it's, you know, it's not easy. I feel like the right thing works out. I don't think if someone had come to us up front and said, are you interested in a sibling group of three, that we would have said yes, if that would have been presented directly up front. I probably would have thought, oh, my gosh, that's too much. Um, you know, so I feel like, you know, the way God wove our story was the way it had to happen for us to be in a position to move forward. So I think moving forward kind of in grace that that God will present the right thing and the right thing works out is huge. I think you have to know you're called to it and that it's the right choice for you. I go back to that a lot, like on our hardest days where I'm like, what are we doing and why did we do this? I kind of have to remind myself to go back to that space where I know what's true. Like I know we were supposed to do this. I know saying yes was the right decision. We didn't doubt it for a minute at the time that we made that decision. And that truth is kind of a foundation for us in the hard uh, moments. And I also think that being just trying to be as self-aware as possible about what you can and can't handle. Because a sibling group is a lot. We feel outnumbered sometimes. It's tough when we have, you know, um, at varying times in the last year and a half, we've had different kids have different, like higher level of needs. Um, I have a friend that's a counselor that I've seen some through the process where when I've struggled and she told me it's like playing whack-a-mole, like you get two down and one pops up and then you're going to get one down and another one will pop up. And so, you know, she's like, it's going, that's just going to be how it all, how it's always going to be for you guys, because it's not just one child and they will be triggered and they'll have different needs and different stages of life will bring up different 
trauma and adjustment. And so I think I had to get that in my head of, oh, okay, like it's probably kind of going to be one of our kids is going to be, have a higher level of need all the time. Mm-hmm. And so that piece of trying to meet that kiddo's needs, but also pursue and care for the other two. You know, I don't know if we could have done that if we had had other kids, you know, in, right, in our home right. or, you know, if we hadn't really felt that siblings and older children was what God had called us to. Because, you know, we're glad we didn't have to potty train or do diapers, but older kids have a totally different set of needs and how they adjust. And, um, you know, and we really have a heart for that. Like we wanted the kids that nobody else wanted. We wanted the kids that were less likely to get adopted. And I think if you have a heart for that, like I pray every day that God just gives me the grace to get through the day. And I think he'll do that, you know. Absolutely. Being called is so important. And it's very clear that you're being honest and saying it's not easy, but it's very clear also that you love these girls with everything you have. You've given up everything, your own lives to invest in in your daughters. And that's an amazing story. Thank you guys so much for being on the show. Thanks for Thank having you. Us. We are going to post a picture of their beautiful girls. Oh my goodness, they're absolutely beautiful. And if you're thinking about adopting from India, you can always reach out to us on Facebook and we will connect you to Steve and Kristen. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook and remember all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week. Thanks for joining us for today's Adoption Now. If you would like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com or find it on Facebook. And join us next week at the same time as we share another adoption story on 670 AM KLTT.